You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today, I'm back for a bonus episode with our partner, ski coach Warren Smith Ski Academy and skier at Vocal International Free Ski Team, Warren Smith. I absolutely loved chatting to Warren. He was such a candid and open guest and we had the most interesting conversation. In the episode, we speak about his unlikely beginnings on a dry ski slope in Hemel Hempstead, how writing a book despite his struggles with dyslexia opened so many doors for him and why he's so motivated by challenge. Warren is one of Britain's leading professional free skiers and an internationally qualified performance coach and instructor. He has been a sponsored vocal free ski athlete for over 20 years and has represented brands such as Heli Hansen, Argentex FX and Del Bello. Having spent many years teaching recreational skiers, developing ski instructors and coaching athletes all over Europe, Warren is one of the most innovative instructors working in the Alps today and has earned a name for himself for the constant research and development he carries out combining ski technique, ski biomechanics and ski physiology. If this wasn't enough, Warren is also the author of Go Ski, which has gone on to sell over 180,000 copies around the world and was the ski coach for Channel 4's The Jump. Warren, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you, Becky. How are you doing today? How are things going over in Verbier at the moment? Verbier is going good. I mean, Verbier, I guess, should be going sort of slower than it than it, uh, than it it is, but we, we've had a really busy um, time and, and, you know, I guess it's a huge learning curve um, going through a, a very different type of ski season mm, yeah how has covid kind of affected the skiing community and, and how has it affected you with everything that's been going on and obviously you were probably training people in quite big groups before so that's obviously probably had to change too yeah no absolutely we, i mean we've um we had to adapt i mean i guess yeah march the 13th to, to you know 2020 uh was the day that they you know they shut the resort down you know very abruptly um and then we had to adapt uh to that we, we had a very very strange year um it's made us think outside the box you know it's made me uh relearn certain aspects and 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 i, and I think um pull different areas of, of where we may have had strengths we weren't really seeing in the business and and evolve them um so, so a lot of the things that you know we, we've done is um well I, i've actually learned to be a better businessman because i've had to be more frugal with a business that's that's been way more fragile um you know from from a a typical business as you were just saying where we bring in you know 60 70 people a week into verbier um you know it's much more um smaller numbers as as you say you know we it was only this week that they actually relaxed it but we've spent most of this season having only four people in a group um so so we've had to sort of think outside the box it has made us go and graft and work a little bit harder whereas you know we've always had it on a plate for us and we've been in a very lucky position um you know we, we've really gone and worked hard to uh bring in new clients that could ski in verbia you know a lot of brits weren't able to travel to uh to verbia and that's probably our biggest market um so we, we've we've sort of adapted we've looked around switzerland a lot more and you know <laughs> picked up the phone and rang people that we probably you know haven't haven't done that sort of thing for you know 10 or 15 years in the business and and, and it's been really good actually um very refreshing uh, and, and the other side of of what we've done we've made our online presence way way stronger by doing webinars and, and a lot of educational content online you know and, and that's been another big thing for us as well Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it has it has made everybody have to think outside the box a little bit more as much as it's not been an easy experience for anyone. It has ultimately made us all a lot more industrious and more willing to engage with things from a more digital perspective as well. And from a kind of personal level, how have you found the, the experience of the last year? 
Well, it's, it's been a challenge, you know, it really has. Um, I, I, I mean, I, you know, it, it goes with the nature of the, doing the job that I do, or, you know, what I've been doing all these years. I, I do like a challenge, you know, there's no two ways about it. If, if, um, if, if someone said, you know, we're going to throw this curveball at you called COVID and, and this is what you've got to try and do and will you make it or not? You know, I, I, I think as a team, you know, not just myself, this is really about how, you know, I've performed, but equally all of the people that work within our academy have really um you know they've done a fantastic job they you know everyone's we've all been very patient and we've all had to um you know pull together I, th I think this is one of those times where teamwork really really sort of pays off you know how you manage how you operate how you pull on people's strengths and, and see you know when you need to jump in and support and, and do what you you can do you know from a, a manager's point of view so so, so it's been a huge learning curve, but, you know, I have to say um, it, it's been enjoyable because it's been, you know, we've, we've, we've been in the, you know, our business has been very lucky that we, we get a lot of exposure and we've, we've, we've been busy for, for many years for various reasons of publicity and, 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 and perhaps what we have as a product, but having to fight for it a bit more, um, you know, at the, at the end of it, because we're sort of coming out of it now, you know, in Verbier, it's, it's definitely, you know, opening up a lot, a, a lot more, you know, it's a little bit late in the season, obviously, but, you know, come the end of March, uh, outdoor areas on terraces will be open. And maybe that last month of the season will be quite an atmospheric time to be here. You know, a lot of people gone through some very tough times. So, um, you know, we, we, we're just, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've learned a lot and, and, and we're sort of, uh, we're, we're, we're quite excited about the future of it, but because we've we've survived a very difficult time, um, a lot of the talk within our industry. So, you know, I, I run the the academy and I ski, you know, for some different brands. But I also do a lot of work within the snow sport industry, as in um, within groups and and people that are helping to to drive a bigger picture of the you know certainly the UK side of the industry. And and the biggest chatter going around at the moment is how aggressive the bounce back is going to be how aggressive people are going to want to go on holidays. Now, hang on, I'm going to go on three holidays. I just missed out on all these. I, you know, I'm going to book a three week holiday instead of a one week holiday, or I'm going to go four or five times that season. So, so our, our big um, thing right now is looking at, you know, do we develop and expand our team in advance of what's happening next year? Um, you know, w w where do we go with it? But, but, but already we're feeling, like a huge amount of like enthusiasm and, and research, you know, people just wanting to get their teeth back into snow sports. And, and I, you know, obviously we all, we all love a summer holiday, but there's, there's something with the passion that goes with skiing um, and snowboarding um, that, that really sort of grabs hold of someone and, and makes that sort of that willing, you know, that want or passion to, to drive it. And, and that's what we've seen. We've, we've seen a huge uptake on people starting to now plan out next winter, next autumn. Mm, yeah, I suppose everybody is just looking for anything to look forward to at this point. And I know from friends who, who ski and, and everyone just is so passionate about it. I was speaking to my uncle weirdly enough a few days ago and he was saying that the one thing he's really missed over the past year is his skiing holiday because there just seems to be this huge community around it. And I think that's probably, is that what you're getting, that people are missing that whole like effect of it all? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there with, with you know talking about how your uncle views it. It's, it's there's something about the mountains, and you know we, we we've often been asked, you know, why is it ski? You know, why is skiing such this thing? It's obvious that it's there's an adrenaline buzz from skiing. You know, we, we we're either challenged and our confidence is challenged, or we're adrenaline junkies. And we, you know, we want to go and um, push ourselves to our limits. Whichever type of person you are across the spectrum of that, you know, there's going to be something in skiing that is you know, that's going to be great for you. Um, but it's not just the the activity of the sport. It, it, it's also the mountains, I think, as a as a place to be. You know, there's something about what the mountains do. And whether it's, I mean, it's obviously to do with the, the huge space you're, you're, you're standing looking at and, and the beauty of what it is. But I think the energy that that sort of draws, you know, or, or brings out, it, it's quite massive. And, and, I, and I've known it be a very good therapy uh, to certain uh, clients, you know, whether they're clients that have come out on holiday and had a break from something that could have been quite stressful in a work environment or a personal environment, or if people have actually, you know, like a lot of our clients, people have relocated, you know, people have actually 
took the step and, 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 and come out to, to spend more time in, in the Alps and then actually, you know, jump in with both feet and, you know, relocate over here. So whatever it is about skiing and the mountains, you know, it, it, it drives the sporting aspect, but it, it drives the social. And I think it really has a massive benefit to anyone from a mental point of view as well. Mm, yeah I think that's such a salient point because that is what people have been talking about so much over the past year especially is that like everybody is craving from a kind of UK perspective everyone's craving houses with more outside space they're craving moving to the country but from a kind of international perspective everyone just wants that more space and you can't get somewhere that's more kind of meditative and and spacious and kind of impressive from a, a naturistic perspective than than the Alps and stuff and I'm sure we'll definitely go on to talk about that and how there is this relationship between alpine sports and, and mental health later on in our conversation but to to kind of kick things off i'd like to take things all the way back to the start to the kind of the beginning of your your skiing experience and where that sort of impetus for this career path came from so would you mind telling us a little bit about how you t decided to turn skiing from just a, a hobby into a career and where your sort of earliest skiing memories started I've got a very, you know, strange story in in how I got into skiing. It's not the conventional way. It's it's why I became a patron for snow camp. You know, I know Knight Franker also have been uh, very, very supportive of. Um, and what it was, I, I come from a background. Um, you know, I, I was brought up in a, you know, just just a very average council estate in Hamel Hempstead. And I, as luck would have it, um, I was into BMXing as a kid. Uh, they, you know, we were very lucky that we had one of the UK's sort of first skateboard parks. I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast has ever seen, uh, you know, like Dogtown and Z Boys, or looking at the the origin of how those uh, street style sports um, developed, and 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 you know, obviously uh, developed the sport that we all sort of work in. But I, I BMX quite seriously as a kid in my early years. I used a skateboard park right next to where um, my mum's house was in Hamel Hempstead. And um, that was my life. And then all of a sudden, uh, they came along um, and in, in our eyes, they destroyed our skateboard park and built a dry ski slope, which us local kids, you know, weren't very happy about. And, you know, from one, from one way or another, I ended up um, spending time at the, the dry ski slope, uh, setting ski bindings. And, and, and um, I found that the transfer, I mean, it's, it's not too dissimilar to the start of this conversation about how you survive or how you you know, you, you look at dealing with things in life, but I had all my skills as a BMXer um, and I transferred them into skiing, you know, quite quickly. Um, and because I lived locally, I mean, I literally spent every minute of my life at the drive ski slope and, and I learned to ski there, learned to ski quite quickly. But I also found that a lot of the skills I'd learned through my years of BMXing as a kid um, were very similar. You know, if you imagine a skateboarder uh, transferring his skills into snowboarding cycling and you know a lot of people who may be listening to this who are into their road cycling or mountain biking really similar balance to skiing left and right you know you're very similar putting pressure against your outside pedal when you when you're going around a corner at high speed on a bike you do the same on skis and and, and that's what got me a break in skiing and i, and I think it's not it's, i think a lot of this is about you know it's luck and it's about the effort you put in but it's also about other people who help you you know get that little step up um on your journey so that, that's been fundamental. I had, you know, um, my, a really dear friend I grew up with, um, Pete Gillespie, who actually now is the boss of the snow centre at Hemel. Um, funny enough, and, you know, we both grew up in Hemel. His son is now working for our academy out here in Verbier. I mean, it's, it's a lovely sort of story to to look at, but but he helped me quite a lot back in the day. You know, I wouldn't have gone to Austria, um, you know, from the dry ski slope to go and work at a ski school in Austria if it wasn't for him. So uh, along the journey, I, I often remember you know people that have definitely given us given myself you know that helping hand along the way but but that was what my journey was I, I learned to ski at a dry ski slope you know I kind of funded it by what you know working in the boot room giving out skis and bindings rental rental skis and bindings and I managed to get free skiing you know at the at the dry ski slope which I probably wouldn't have been able to afford um, as a kid and then at my school which was actually positioned over the back of the the, the snow center at uh, or the, the dry ski slope at Hemel as it was at the time. I went to the school over the back of where, where that was. It was called the Mount Batten School. And we had a school holiday that came up like on, on snow. And, uh, you know, I, I managed to save up the money, went on the school holiday, and then I never really looked back. You know, all I knew is when I skied that one time on real snow, 
uh, you know, that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, and then I just pushed it and forged a way to be able to get, you know, get onto snow. And that, that was my journey, really. It was, it was, you know, I became a dry soap ski instructor. Um, and then I did everything I could try and do to get out to the Alps. So I, I went to Austria, um, trained there as a ski instructor, got qualified in Austria. And then, and then over years of persevering, made my way, found my way to Verbier because I was in search of that sort of free ride uh, skiing dream, you know, which, which Verbier was a bit of a mecca for, a bit like, you know, what Chamonix might be or St. Anton, places like that. And, and, and that, yeah, Verbier, I haven't really looked back since I got here, you know, so it's been a long time. I've been here 25 years now in, in Verbier. So uh, yeah, getting to know the place very well and, um, and, and, and been feeling very grateful, you know, for being here really. Mm, yeah, that's such an interesting journey going from from BMXing and, and cycling and skate parks into skiing. And and what was it about skiing? Like obviously, you said that you, you moved from kind of doing BMXing into skiing and the similarities there. But from a kind of like almost psychological perspective, what was it that really hooked you onto skiing? Why was it that you were able to transfer that, that passion for BMXing into skiing and then stuck with skiing rather than kind of keep doing both? Yeah, no, well, I, I, that's a really good point. It, and actually, um, Becky, it, it, I, I, I still love cycling. So, you know, here in Verbier, I've got my my e-bike for getting up and doing my, you know, downhill mountain biking, but also my uphill sort of riding and my road cycling. I do, you know, we, I'm part of the Delalio Cycle uh, Club. You know, we, we go on, we do, we do money raising events every two years. We're doing one this summer, actually, in Spain. Um and 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 I still have that passion for cycling. Um, uh, but if I try and jump on someone's BMX now at the age of forty-eight, I don't quite have the same outcome. <laughs> you know, I quite I might have a little uh, <laughs> scratches and bruises, and and I, I quite you know I, I have spent a lot of time um, hurling myself and, and getting nailed on a bike. But skiing, I, I the, the feeling or the, or the 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 speed I would get to on skis, or or, or the buzz or the adrenaline buzz, you know that. That there was something in skiing that felt very, very natural. It was something that felt, you know, going around corners, making your own sort of, uh, you know, on a bike, it's usually a game of having your grip of your tire and you're going around a corner and, and it's going to happen. Skiing, there was a bigger challenge and it doesn't always happen like that. You know, you might make the perfect turn. You might have a yard sale and, and, and have a huge wipeout and end up halfway down the slope. Hopefully you find some happy medium for most of your life when you're skiing. But there was definitely the the buzz of of skiing that got me, and I loved the the, the, the steepness of, of skiing. So the, the the area of skiing that I moved into was freeride skiing. So I became a became sponsored you know 20 years ago by the Vocal brand, and I've stuck with them ever since. And I've always pursued freeride skiing, but especially skiing on steep terrain. Um, so so my my buzz, which I still get. Um, you know, is trying to find a, a face, you know, that, that I, that I want to go and ski or conquer and, and very much, you know, going back to that point between, you know, why choose this and over uh, BMXing and cycling on that face that I choose, you know, it, it, it's the gradient, which is a challenge. And, and you, you get that feeling when it becomes steep enough, which is usually over 45 degrees, anything over 45 degrees, you get the feeling of like free falling a little bit when you're making your turns, when you're going down the hill and you, you know you turn from left to right, there's almost that weightlessness feeling in between your turns. Um, and quite often, if I've done photographs for uh, for ski, you know the ski brand like Vocal on a steep face, you can actually sort of see it in the lines that we're we're riding on. And and and, and that's the buzz for me. It, it's it's the unpredictability. It, it's the personal challenge of you're trying to make it predictable. You're pushing yourself against the elements. So, so it's. It's the gradient that you're skiing. It's the texture of the snow. It might not be that friendly sometimes. You look up at a face and you ski and it's like, oh my God, you know, it's not as nice as you thought it was. And then you get those glory days, like when, when we go to Japan and ski or if we get those really nice cold days earlier in the season and you've, you know, you've got a weightless powder day, which I guess is, a, you know, what, what surfers might feel like when they're going down, they're making the turns and you've got, you know, powder um, coming over, you know, coming over your head. And, and we had that earlier on this season, you know, in January. So, so there's a lot of those elements to that sport and I could go on, you know, I, I can talk about the environment that we live in. And, and it was definitely, 
I think in my mindset as a kid, I think if I didn't find skiing, you know, I'd have probably ended up on the wrong side of the law. I'd have probably ended up being someone that went a little bit wayward, you know. And and I think uh, having one of those type of brains, well, I don't mean it in an intelligence point of view, but I just needed to be sort of active doing something. I needed to be, I think, stimulated by something. Otherwise, I'd have probably... Um, got a bit mad you know that was my that was my take on it so I, I think I got a lucky break actually in life by being a very energetic um you know as my mum used to say like a red-headed sort of you know Tasmanian devil you know running around <laughs> always doing something usually getting into trouble and skiing was that sport that had enough adrenaline had a huge amount of open space it's almost like nothing could contain you if, if, if you know what I mean it was like that that was the the beauty of the mountains for me it was it was a, it was a real therapy as well as a, a sport mm, and I think there's a real um real synergy with something I, I was reading recently in, in what you were saying I recently finished um Scott Jurek he's an ultra ultra marathoners book um got it behind me I'm just saying what, what it's actually called it's called Eden Run and he was talking about his early experiences before he became an ultramarathoner as a free skier um, oh, wow. in America and that he was talking very similarly about how it was that he needed that stimulation whether it was running ultramarathons or whether it was doing kind of ski marathons and all sorts of things like that it's that almost stimulation and it's that challenge that keeps you going and you spoke about when we were speaking about COVID at the start there um, about everything that you've gleaned from the past 12 months and how it's been a challenge, but how you've thrived as a result of that challenge. Do you think that challenge and kind of having something to, to stimulate you and push you forward is what keeps you going in everything you do, be that your business or be that your free skiing? I, I think so. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't get me wrong. I get some days I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I didn't have to go and work tomorrow. I'm absolutely exhausted. You know, I'd want a day off, but in all fairness, you know, I, I do think, I think we all need that, to be honest with you. I, th I think without that, that, that reason, you know, that drive, um, people switch off and, and it can be a physical switch off or a mental switch off, you know, from, from, from my experience at it. And, and I, and I think it's so important to be, to be pushed and to be driven. Um, and, and, you know, like we spoke about earlier, you know, we, we were pushed and we were, we were made to go and, you know, be running the academy over 20 years. I'm thinking, okay, we, we've got to get a nice bit of plain sailing, you know, at this stage in the business. And we end up having one of our most difficult years, kind of like the building years and in, in, in the early stages of it. But because of doing that, and, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of speak openly about, you know, a, a, a partnership that we've, we created in our COVID year last year with, um, Helly Hansen, you know, a lot of listeners may have heard of Helly Hansen. It's, it's a very big clothing brand, you know, one of the biggest in, in, in the ski industry, certainly. Um, and we met with them at a trade show called ISPO in Munich, which happens every every February. It happened virtually this year. Um, but the, 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 the meeting that we had with them was really interesting. And we kind of like practically signed a contract for a couple of years to, to, to have a new clothing brand um but what was really interesting from our point of view is that everybody put the brakes on you know anything to do with marketing and, and anything to do with expenditure in, in in areas of those those companies so i found myself that you know going having a really positive meeting in february 2020 um only to sort of find at the end of march 2020 um the the the, the agreement that we sort of had had thrashed out to be sort of removed or, or to be put on hold you know by the sounded you know sounds of it at least for a year until until covid had settled down but off the back of uh of what had happened to us when we got shut down in verbia on the 13th of march we kind of set about you know like what can we do you know we, we've we've got this 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 big deficit already happening we, we've lost our trade and you know we pretty much lost all of our april bookings and, and our summer bookings and, and we were trying to work out you know what we do and and how we move forward and we knew that there wasn't a huge financial sort of reward uh, uh, anywhere we were going to be looking but what we did decide to do was to put as much energy and effort as we could do into engaging with our our clients in the way of doing webinars we basically started doing these webinars early april um i did them every friday from home they were terribly produced and i was <laughs> you know people were we, we were getting great feedback from like oh wow that was really good bits can you sort your audio out can you sort your and i'm not gonna lie you know we, we had we'd also you know I, I did i did one or two of them you know waking up after sort of you know 
drowning our sorrows the night before and and and, and trying to pull off a, a sort of a live half an hour sort of webinar talk. But what was really interesting about these webinars is, you know, people at the time were desperate for content. I guess it's a bit like, you know, the Joe Wicks side of things for exercise and and what you saw as, as a big revolution for that. And we were sort of getting that that um coverage and the, our sponsors like you know uh, vocal skis and and, and del bello boots and market bindings and you know uh, and, and and you know everyone else that that, that puts their, their branding on our jackets it's our it's our job to go and you know get these these guys out into the the, the public uh forum and to be spoken about to be hashtagged and 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 added on to our um outlet our media outlet but that, that outlet would have been shut down if we hadn't have got off our backsides to, and, and done a, a live webinar but on week two of the live webinars where, where we were expecting to engage with like a you know a, a couple of thousand people our second webinar had fifty six thousand views or, or just over and we were like oh my god you know this is this is insane so we we, we did it again and, and and we kept on going to week I think it was week 12 or, or, or 14. The last two weeks, they actually ended up opening up the glacier where we ski up on Zermatt in the summer. And the last two webinars were on snow. But we did a lot of these webinars, um, sort of thinking outside the box, just in my you know, my front room. A dog was jumping up a couple of times. It was all, it was all very, very you know, um, uh, informal and, and on the fly. Um, but we engaged with people and, and it was really interesting that we were giving people ski technique uh, biomechanics exercises to work on at home and what we were finding was really interesting things came out of it you know so number one the 56,000 views that we were getting on a weekly basis um, re-engaged Heli Hansen. Heli Hansen ended up signing a contract with us um, for several years during the actual um uh, during the webinars that were going on each, each week you know number two we were helping um our clients uh our, and, and skiers who are watching our webinars from you know not just the uk but from you know many areas in switzerland people in the states and, and we had a really common question and i'm sure people listening to this podcast will relate to this um and you know if you're into your skiing you know a lot of the time people aren't always definite about what ski length to go for you know so so a common ski for example is is a vocal mantra it's a really popular ski one of the best sellers and if you look at the most common height and weight of a skier the most common thing that we found that we were getting questions pinged back to us on these talks these these, these webinars was that you know do i go for the one meter 77 length vocal mantra or do i go for the 184 you know the 184 is going to be more difficult to carve with on piece but will be better in powder and we got to a stage where we were getting people sending in their videos um and myself and my team were analyzing their videos sending them back uh, a video review of their skiing technique and say actually do you know what you're better off going for the 177 because the the way that your skiing technique is doing this this and this at the start of the turn you won't have the the the, the ability or the pressure to bend that 184 the longer length ski so we became a almost an intermediary between the ski instructor and the ski shop and because of the way it, it's gone recently a lot of people um have you know been purchasing online a lot of people um did purchase online off the back of the talks um so they, they served like another purpose and they ended up developing and opening up another area of our business that brought our relationship closer to our sponsors like our, our our product sponsors heli hansen you know in the end they, they wanted us to talk about the kit or, or you know in in the form of these in the form of these webinars and, and get a bit closer to people in that way um but we actually took on and, and gained i'd have to say sounds an exaggeration but at least 30 percent extra client base of people that although it's been a very difficult winter um people that ended up uh buying products from us whether it's books or dvds or uh or booking onto courses but we increased our, our 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 client base out of doing something off the back of a kind of a you know jump in and deep end and seeing if you can swim um and i learned you know i kind of i've always done a lot of presenting on, on on tv shows for skiing or whatever it might be but i got better at doing these talks you know so i i improved something about my own technical ability to stand up and talk in front of the camera and the weirdest thing was i i you know i've, I've I presented on on the jump, you know, as the ski coach on the TV show, The Jump on Channel Four, and I, you know, never had a problem with that, and talked in front of you know big audiences at the ski show. 
but stick me in front of my mobile phone with nobody else in the room. And I was almost uh, having, a, having a panic attack. I had to learn how to, you know, talk to a camera where I felt very odd, but knowing that there's, you know, quite a wave of people at the background of the camera. So it was really interesting. You know, that, that, that for me was a, a, was a big sort of game changer. And now it's, it's changed our business, you know, model um, definitely for the better. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it's it's a real testament to the power of being adaptable and having that initiative and saying, okay, things aren't necessarily going to plan or how we usually do things. But there is that huge power in changing things up and saying, okay, let's adapt to this situation. And that clearly shines through in what you were doing. And I think the point I was really interested to drill into and in what you were talking about there was that almost the, what you talked about with human connection and and gaining your client base and connecting with partner brands but also connecting on a deeper level and a more personal level with your with your clients and I think that that links really nicely to what you were saying um earlier on when you were talking about kind of the connections you made with people in the early years of your your skiing career and how someone that you you'd worked with and had a connection with had gone on to do stuff in Hemel Hempstead and I think what we have all learned over the past year is that that is there's this huge value in human connection and we all want that that candidness and that authenticity and to be able to have that relatability with people. And I think that is is very evident in the fact that you created your own ski academy in 1998, because you probably, I think if I'm right in thinking you were a free skier before you started your academy, but what was it about kind of having your own academy and becoming a ski instructor and connecting with people? Was it that connection with people that you wanted? Was that what kind of drove you towards it or was it something else? It, it it was definitely one of the factors. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I've, I've always loved that aspect of, I mean, the way I'd always see it, you know, so, so to try and break down a typical group. Um, and, and one of the reasons I went to, to Verbier to set up the academy over, over this process, and it took a couple of years to get there, but I, I was teaching in Austria, I was, you know, I was the bottom of the bottom of the pack, you know, wasn't an Austrian. Um, and uh, was was thrown these groups of like God. I mean, I think the biggest group I ever had was about eighteen people in a group, and it was just like, oh my God, you know. So, so real uh, uh, tests of your character and and to see how you pull through. But in 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 sort of dealing with these groups and looking at how people learn, I was only finding that when I was teaching in Austria, we were given um, corrective exercises, presuming someone was going to get something wrong. But one of the things that was never addressed in the way that we were looking at. And in the way that you know the teaching was put across, we never looked deeper than what ski technique was supposed to be like. So, if a book said you should be able to make a parallel turn like this, left and right, da 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 da, um, you know, this is what it shall be, and we'll presume you'll all do it. And I never saw anyone looking deeper. So, and and I'll give an example. If 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 anyone out there is listening to this and you know has been screamed at saying like finish your turn or finish your turn off to the left, you know you're, you're turning great to the right. You, you, your left turn's not the same as your right turn. And I, I mean, you know, I'm sure everyone has had this feeling that they 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 their left and right turns are not the same. You know, that it's usually the fact that someone has a weaker turning direction. And it sounds really basic when you scratch the surface, you realise that nearly everybody has a biomechanical difference between left and right. And this is the bit that I was sort of scratching at, I guess, and thinking about and, and looking back at it and thinking, you know, why are we teaching the sport like this, just presuming everyone is like a like a robot? You know, they, they will turn left, they will turn right. You know what? They, they just don't. So so what we've done in our, in our teaching method or the thing that, you know, made us really, you know, pursue setting the academy up is we – we scratched the surface a little bit and looked at the biomechanics of skiing. And we, we found that loads of the answers, in fact, this is such a, a big thing about it is so many of the answers um, are not actually, you know, with the instructor, you, you could, you could pay to have the best ski instructor in the world. Um, and if you have biomechanical imbalances between left and right, which most people do, there's only so much the instructor can do, you know, he can't, physically go and stretch out your ligaments tendons muscles all the, all the things that need to go and be balanced um on a ski lesson for for an hour or two you know that you just can't get there so so that was the other reason when people started engaging in the webinars they were like actually god yeah i can i know i know it's a bit sort of cliche sort of at home exercises but but the reality of it is we, we get so much work done off of snow 
um, to create the solutions for people skiing, even when they come on our ski courses. And, and, you know, we hope we give a good product out and people like our coaching, but what they've usually gone away and found after doing the video analysis sessions in the evening and things like that is that the actual bigger picture is going away and working on the, the physiological side of skiing and getting that balanced out. And, and then, you know, they come back again and, and they have a huge acceleration curve. So, you know, it kind of explains a little bit about what the inspiration behind the academy was and why we wanted to create a, a teaching system that um, was beneficial. But, you know, the other thing behind this is having a, a sound biomechanical foundation, it massively reduces the risk of, of taking on a classic ski injury. Uh, and, and that's the biggest side of it. But also on the other side, um, you know, where people often talk about the intermediate plateau in skiing or plateaus in people's technique where they just get stuck at a certain level. Um, going away and working on your biomechanical elements, which are very easy to do as well, by the way, um, working on them, we found that the people that ended up going to ski at indoor snow domes or got away in the summer to ski, we got great feedback from people that didn't even take a ski lesson. So the Ski Technique Lab, which is our biomechanical aspect to the academy, um, opened up a huge door for us, you know, and and, it, and that's why we grew our client base a lot more because, you know, it, it grew um, because we were hitting and, and attracting people that didn't necessarily want to want to take a ski lesson. Mm, that is so fascinating. I had no idea about, I mean, obviously all sport has a lot of sort of physiological stuff and huge amounts of biology and biomechanics, as you mentioned, going on behind the scenes, but I had no idea that it was, there was those huge differences between kind of your right and your left and all that sort of stuff. So that's, I mean, hugely fascinating. And I have so many questions that I could possibly <laughs> ask you off the back of that, but that perhaps is something that I should book in a session for to ask you yeah. about. But if somebody is listening and they hear all of that and they think, but that's something I would love to be doing. I'd love to be coaching people. I'd love to be understanding all of that a little bit better and incorporating that into even their personal skiing or or their ambitions to get into coaching. What sort of advice would you give to people with similar ambitions to you? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, book on an instructor course. If you really want to be an instructor, you know, we we we're in the middle of one here in Verbier, um, which we which we run every winter. We want run in the summer as well, and and they're a great. Um, they're a great foundation. So, so if you just wanted to change your skiing generally, the, the instructor training course will do a huge amount for that. Um, but if you wanted to become an instructor, you know, most of our team that work for the academy, in fact, it might actually be everybody at the moment, um, bar one, um, have come through our gap year uh, ski instructor program. You know, they, 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 they've worked that way, they've worked their way through and, and they've, you know, spent their time, worked through the ranks and, and, and they've, they've ended up you know, becoming a ski instructor. And I mean, I, I personally would recommend it. You know, it may not be a career where you uh, makes the most lucrative uh, sort of advantages for you, but the, the psychological advantages, the physiological advantages and the sort of general well-being, there are a lot worse things you could be doing than, than teaching the sport of skiing. And, and as you said, Becky, you, you build some fantastic lifelong relationships. You know, the, I know the guys that have come through our system year on year you know they've ended up making life friends they've ended up you know also becoming teachers and and and, and the, you know let's say 20 percent of them end up becoming full-time ski instructors they they literally have completely changed their life you know and, and ended up in the alps and ended up with a, a a career that that you know may not have been that path that they looked at but now uh, are finding a lot more uh positive things about it and like, again as you were saying they Living in an outdoor environment and being able to work in an outdoor environment, it, it, it is quite a special thing, you know, and I, and I think the further you go down that life journey, you, you can see why um, it's so rewarding and, and so healthy to be doing that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that mental health and that psychological aspect of, of what people define as success is so important because I think so often, and you said that it, it may not be the most lucrative career, but it's actually made you and made other people really happy and it's given them connections and it's given them lifelong what they would deem success but perhaps might not be what other people deem as success so for you what would you it's quite a broad question but what do you see success as when you kind of look at your career and look at what you've achieved in life how do you define that success well I, I it's really interesting I, I I think one of the ways I look at it is what what your kind of like your network or your family around you are like like I, I consider my team 
definitely to be a family, you know, and, and to get to this stage in the business, you know, I'm, I'm 48 and, you know, I've, I've had a few injuries along the way with, with, with funny enough with cycling accidents that have sort of taken me out of the game for a little bit the last couple of years. But I, I, I see it as, as, you know, what you who you hold dear around you. And the fact that we, you know, all call upon each other. Uh, I have an extended family in, in that, that, that to me is a success. You know, the, 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 it's, it's not like an autocratic sort of uh, way of running a business. It's very much, I've got a team of, of, of guys and girls that want to turn up that, you know, they're, they're, they're eager. They're super keen that they're, they're really looking forward to the next client they might meet or who they're going to teach or the instructor training program that we run or the, the off piece courses, whatever it is, the whole gang are motivated, you know, and, and having that ability to go and, um, you know, go for a, a beer or whatever, or, or meet up after work with the guys and, you know, compare notes that that's quite an incredible thing, you know, to better sort of feel like I've achieved, you know, so, so that's one, one element of it. And, and I think the other aspect of it is sort of working out how you, you sort of keep yourself in the game. So I've always got a challenge going on. Um, you know, my team are 10 years younger than me. And <laughs> it's always trying to like, you know, keep up with the team and, uh, checking my technique, making sure I'm sort of doing all the right things to try to still be able to be in the game, you know, and, and that, you know, I'm, I'm still on the vocal team, you know, and I, they probably keep me on the team out of, you know, goodwill. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm one of the older people in the team. But if I look back on it, I, I feel, you know, even in the last couple of years, we've, we've got some great photos and done some poster campaigns uh, for vocal that have been in, that have ended up going international. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a Brit, you know, from a from a background near in Hemel Hempstead that skied on a dry ski slope. So th those comparisons are, uh, are quite a, a way sometimes I would look at it and think, actually, that's something to look back on. You know, so if I've got something where I can sit on the balcony in Michelet and Verbier and think, actually, do you know what? I, at least I, I did that or I did something or I skied down that face and ended up as a poster. So it doesn't take a huge amount, you know, for me to feel like, you know, we've had a, we've had a good run of it, but definitely the team I hold around me that stay with us, you know, we don't lose people in our academy. We, we've retained the same members of our team and, and having a couple of personal achievements where, you know, may have done, something good on the, on the right day where the wind was blowing in the right direction and the, you know i was feeling not too much in agony or probably took the right amount of ibuprofen in the morning but no but that that, that generally speaking is um is where i'd probably gauge you know success mm, no i think that's so inspirational and i think so many people listening will be able to to resonate with that and will take something away from that and almost i mean i definitely will reconsider kind of the way that you look at success and the parameters that we put around it so i think that's that's so inspirational and kind of on the topic of being a little bit more i suppose meditative is the wrong word but just kind of sitting back and thinking and articulating the way that you think about things you wrote um a book go ski in 2007 and i'm always so fascinated by people who who are able to write books because they are such a feat um i think everyone just sees them on the shelf and they just think oh that's amazing that's that somebody did that but they, there's so much work that goes into writing a book and so it's something that I definitely wanted to speak to you about. So when it came to to actually getting your book deal and securing it and writing it, what would you say were the biggest lessons you learned from it? And where did the impetus to write a book actually come from? Well, I, I you know, I was approached by um, DK Books, you know, like uh, Dawn and Kindersley or, or, you know, Penguin, I guess they were. And they asked me to write a book. And it was actually one of those, it's a bit like what we were speaking about earlier, actually. It's like, oh, well, this is a good opportunity. You know, I, I can now put something down about the method or, or you know and not going to sort of left field it's pretty much you know skiing is skiing it's not like we're trying to rewrite it we were just trying to add a couple of extra bits of you know we were trying to combine ski technique with ski biomechanics and, and with equipment precision so that that was all we wanted the book to be but it was a great opportunity but but interestingly in a similar sort of vein as we've been speaking on this i, I got the book deal because i was making dvds or, or, or you know i guess vhs is even but but dvd videos so the guys saw me i mean i was writing uh, anyway for the uh, at the time uh, the daily mail you know like the ski technique editor for the daily mail and 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 they'd just seen my name about, I think. I mean, that's that's a similar reason I got the gig on the the Channel Four uh, TV show, The Jump. So so I was asked to do that. It's, 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 I think I got on the jump because of the book Go Ski. You know, so so that they, they it all kind of intertwines into those 
uh, you know, I, I, I say it quite a lot, but, but, but often I've, I've done things or, or may have done a something where perhaps you didn't get paid at that moment. You know, you, you did something as, as a favor or something as a goodwill and it, it tends to, in a karma point of view, come back around. So I, that for me is how the, the book deal came about. It was because the, the guys at DK books had seen me uh, write technique articles in, in the, in the, in the ski magazines and, 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 and make DVDs about it. But then uh, the book was 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 such a nice thing to be able to do because we had complete freedom for it. So I, I I'm quite dyslexic actually. So it was a bit of a fear uh, doing the the word <laughs> writing the word side. So I um I I kind of uh, that part took a really long time. So so the photography and the skiing, you know, no problem. We sort of got up there smashed it out, a couple of days work, and and literally sort of worked our way through the book. That the writing side you know th th there was a lot of and, and obviously i wasn't in complete control of it that you know i wrote it and they probably sort of laughed at the other end like my god what's this guy doing he's right he's trying to write a book he can't actually write english but he, but they, they you know i obviously had someone and it was a bit the same you know when i write for the telegraph was the last you know magazine i currently write for in the snow magazine since the telegraph ski magazine stopped you know pe people know um uh, henry druce who's the editor of the telegraph he's now the editor for in the snow magazine we we actually had ongoing conversations and giggles about my attempt at, at sort of writing English. So that was the challenge for me. Um, but I kind of, you know, we were just talking about um, learning from things like the webinars and like, you know, I can talk to an audience or a crowd, but I can't talk to a mobile phone. So I guess persevering and just sort of keep trying and keep trying. I got better at it. I think by the time I finished the book, I did actually, you know, get better at writing. And in fact, all the English I didn't do very, you know, at school, I think we were sort of playing up and misbehaving quite a lot. And, and I think I actually learned um, what I didn't learn in school in terms of English, writing that book, you know, so it's, it's like, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but that was actually one of the, uh, one of the big benefits for it. And, and, and the book was great. You know, it went into a lot of different languages. I think it was 12 different languages in the end. You know, I was walking down the high street in St. Anton when I was teaching a client there and I saw it in the window and there, there were lots of different things about it. And, and you know, I had a French version. So the, the, the book was working. It was selling. Um, the interesting story behind the book, um, you know, it was a great opportunity for us and it was a real privilege to make it. But one guy turned up once on a, um, on a ski course in Verbier in 2011 and he asked me to sign the book. So often people would come up to us after a ski course and said, oh, do you mind signing the book? You know, and this guy came up and it was like, he held the book at me and I was like, you know, this, this, the book was in Chinese, you know, and I, and I hadn't been told about the fact the book was in China. And I signed the book for him and, 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 and I kind of rang up DK Books. I was like, you know, this guy's just bought a Chinese version of the book. You, you guys didn't tell me it was sold in China. He's like, well, we hadn't yet sold it in China. So I don't know how the guy's got a Chinese version of your book. And, and lo and behold, the book actually did end up um, selling quite a lot of copies, like a few hundred thousand uh, as a separate thing in China. Um, but we ended up getting an audience there and went down to China for five years and set up the first, you know, British ski school in China, a resort called Wanlong, all off the back of that book that you talk about. Um, so the book was really interesting. It wasn't just the journey of the book as in like, okay, great, we've got an opportunity to write something about how we want to present, you know, our method of ski technique. It, it, it took us on a lot of journeys around the world to different places and opened up a few other doors and a few giggles along the way, you know, going to China and, and, and trying to trying to set the whole, you know, thing up over there as well. So yeah, it was it was good. It was it was it was really good fun. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I think I mean, I, I'm kind of in awe listening to it. I was just kind of a bit speechless because I just think it's it's such an amazing thing to have achieved, not only to have written a book, but to have also as you said, like had your experiences with dyslexia that have, wouldn't have made it particularly easy to write it, but still pushing through it and having that drive and compulsion behind what you were writing to get it out there no matter what. And and would you say that, I'm just kind of picking this up from, from what you're saying with my kind of amateur psychologist hat on, um, would you say that you're naturally quite a yes person? Do you always just think, well, I'll, I'll just go for it, I'll just do it. And do you think that comes from yeah. not necessarily coming from a background where everything was served to you on a plate? I, th I think it's a survival background, you know. I, I yeah, and you're right, Becky. I, I am, unfortunately, too much, too much. So, so I get myself into trouble by too many yeses, unfortunately. Um, you know, which which personally can cause you a lot of grief. You know, when you when you're sort of yesing to everyone, and um, you know, makes makes other areas of your life very difficult. But I am, and and I think 
the only thing I can put it down to or what other people like speaking how you've just spoken would put it down to um, is, is a psychological sort of survival thing, you know, where, you know, I, I came from a broken home, my parents were divorced, my dad was a, was an alcoholic and I, and I, you know, we, we did struggle, you know, I remember, I mean, I'm not going to get the violin out because it's not what this is about, but I do remember, you know, I, I had a car cleaning, you know, I used to clean people's cars to get money and, you know, we, we, we did have a meter, you know, for our electric. And, 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 and there were times where, you know, I was putting the electric in the meter as like a 12 year old kid, which I shouldn't have been doing, but it was just, it was, there were difficult times in, in my life. And, and, you know, not a hardship at all. You know, I, I had a really, my mother was a fantastic lady and brought me up very, you know, I'd like to think very well, you know, but, um, but it was, it was, you know, there were parts of that upbringing where there was a, there was a, you know, I had to survive. I, I had to, to push on through. And I think that's the part um, where you, yeah, you, you, you've sort of, you've hit the nail on the head with it. I, I have ended up, you know, met perhaps at some stages having, you know, quite a lot of drive and sort of not almost, uh, you know, like a bit of a runaway train of it really um, sometimes, but, you know, it, it definitely serves on a positive point of view at certain elements um, and then there's certain times in my life where it's not, you know, served positively. It's caused me all sorts of problems and, and, and grief and, and everything else you, you sort of go through with it, you know, burning yourself out uh, as well. You know, that, that can also happen with that type of uh, mentality. Mm, no, thank you for talking about that, because I think people, they often see their the end product. They'll go onto your Instagram, for instance, and they'll see thousands of followers and all these amazing clients and amazing experiences or they'll see you on the jump or they'll see you writing a book and all this sort of stuff but they won't realize that actually it's not always easy and those things that have come about may have burnt you out in the process so I think thank you so much for talking about that because I think that really will resonate with people and just to to kind of change the subject ever so slightly and and link in um obviously how we've got you on the podcast obviously because we're we're night frank and, and you're one of our partners and i'd be really interested to know kind of we've done some work with you um as part of our social media team and and we've obviously opened a new office in verbier recently which links really nicely into our partnership with you but how did your partnership with night frank come about and what was it about night frank that that sold you into wanting to be our partner well, it, it goes back to personal relationships. You know, I, I, you know, if we work with people, we work, we have to work with people we trust. We, we have repeatedly gone. I mean, I think in the, you know, God knows how many of my clients have relocated or have brought property in the Alps or, you know, done something because, you know, Verbier definitely a very affluent place and it, and it attracts, you know, quite a lot of successful people from a bit of business world. So, so I've been in that position and I've not really known, you know, I, I don't know, I can't advise people on it, but, um, it's been it's been brilliant talking to to Alex and Roddy about what's going on with it. I, I learned a lot because I when when we made a partnership, we were coaching at the City Ski Championships um, as their coaches, and and uh, you know they're, they're they're a great bunch, you know, and they create a lovely event. And Knight Frank were a sponsor, and I got talking to Alex um, off the back of that. But again, it comes down, you know, to to the relationship side. It was. We sort of, you know, we, we got on very well. We hit it off and we had a really good chat at the office and a lot of other comparisons about cycling. I know Alex does a lot of that. Yeah, and, and the guys at the office, you know, they're big into their skiing. So we had a natural sort of ground to talk about and to talk on. Um, and and it, was, it was definitely an interesting road for us because a lot about what we do, when we do the extra things, like the, when we go on tour around the UK and try to offer the the biomechanics lectures up to people it, it costs a lot of money to do that you know so you have to put on a uh, quite a lot to create that product but the products are benefit mainly to the consumer it's, it's not something that makes our academy money and the only way to, to to create that product and that platform is bringing in uh sponsors that have a relation to to the ski industry you know and i know from alex's point of view and roddy's point of view you know because they're into their skiing they, they know about um, what, what their clients like the night Frank type of a typical ski client base. Um, there, there's a lot of people that the talks and, and the biomechanics labs would benefit naturally. Um, so, so when you know, the guys um, wanted to support our Academy, you know, that's what we invested the money in. We, we invested it straight into the ski technique lab. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why you hear the, you know, the success of what the ski technique lab is, is because, um, you know, Knight Frank have invested in in skiing, but they've also invested in that, you know, the biomechanics offering someone a better product. So, so that was one side of the relationship. 
And the other side is, you know, I'm quite naive to property. I, I don't, I don't know about it. We've got uh, uh, Annabelle that, that's that, that's heading up the Verbier office here. Uh, you know, she's she's educated me quite a lot about other areas. We're, we're you know talking about some really exciting plans to open up our academy in Val de Nivier, um, which is an area which I think has got so much potential. Um, and I know that Knight Frank are already uh, doing things there and, and are very involved there. So there were there were some very natural uh, parallels crossovers passionate people and and the big report you know the big alpine report every year you know i i, I actually learned a bit from that and you know at my age i'm also looking uh, in, in those areas of, of property as well and, and what to do so it's, it's, it's been you know i think it's quite a mutual mutual thing although i've not skied with with alex yet so we've got to we've, we, we do need to get him out here and have a you know a proper we, we need to get him down some pretty steep slopes in verbier see how he's uh so he's going, you know, with that. So it should be funny. <laughs> yeah, got to test him out. <laughs> got to test him out, exactly. Yeah. Got to test him out. No, that's that's really cool. And I think there is that huge link, as you said, between between property and skiing. And it's not necessarily all about just housing people who are going skiing, but it's also all the things you spoke about there with the, the biomechanics and that sort of thing, which is so interesting. And you said that you didn't know personally a huge amount about property, but that's something you're you're constantly learning about as a result of this partnership. But when you were looking for your home in Verbier, what sort of stuff were you looking for? Did you have like a plan when you set out of this is the sort of place I want to live in or was it just kind of exploring what was out there and seeing what came about well it was it was just it was really interesting i mean i i stumbled across um the property i i, I live in um kind of accidentally um a, a very dear friend of mine put me up in his chalet and i, I was going through um a, a divorce at the time uh, you know everything's all good my son's you know on his way and, and doing very well very passionate sort of verbier skier himself but the 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 situation i was left in i was I was I was uh, I was given a mezzanine in this in this friend's chalet, and I was sort of staying there all season, and and so, it was such a kind act that this guy that did for me at the time. And um, right at the end of the season um, in uh, two thousand and three, the, the the guy who put me up and his and his uh, and his now ex partner were arguing about the chalet. He wanted to buy the chalet, she didn't want to buy it, and I was listening to these arguments go on for the mezzanine of the chalet. And I was just like, you know, God, what, what part of me is saying, guys, give it a rest. I'm trying to sort of get some sleep up here. The other part was like pulling my arm out and saying, no, if you don't want to buy the chalet, can I have like first dibs at it? And it was like, it was just before the mad, you know, the mad verbier boom and, and all the rest of it that went on. And, and as an instructor, probably wouldn't have the budget to buy a place in verbier now. But just at that moment, and this is why I find Knight Frank really interesting. This is why I find what you know, the research that Roddy and Alex uh, show on those reports and what, how Annabelle has been educating me a little bit on it here. I, if I'd have known then uh, what I know now, I could have, I would definitely have made some different moves that would probably by now have changed my financial security. Not complaining about my financial security, so everything's all good, but the things I could have improved on perhaps would have had, you know, th this is why the Knight Frank philosophy and, and the research that goes on into their reports interests me from an educational point of view, but that's how I brought my chalet, you know, and, and I kind of, um, you know, I, I, you know, the mortgage still still sits on it, but but the reality of it is, I got a fantastic deal just just being in the right place at the right time, and probably a deal that I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be able to afford these days, and, and I was very lucky, um, but but that's the other part that I want to sort of improve on is is like not just to be lucky, I'd like to get a bit more um, educational, a bit more, uh, you know, be able to to sort of see what might go on in the future a little bit better. Mm, absolutely. And I think there is that huge value in the research thing. I mean, speaking very personally, before I got into what I'm doing now at Night Frank, I had zero clue about property. And it's mad the amount you can learn just by reading little bits of research here and there and, and picking up on those things and having those conversations. I think there is a real value in it. And I think that you articulated that really well there. So to begin to wrap up every podcast, we do a quick fire round. And the first question of which is city or country? City or country? Oh, God. I'd go for city. Europe or the US? I think it would be Europe. Penthouse or chalet? It's got to be chalet. Verbier or Hemel Hempstead? Is, is that a trick question? It's got to be Verbier. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. Um, Switzerland or London? Uh, Switzerland. Definitely Switzerland now. Definitely Switzerland now. And free skiing or coaching? Uh, oh, God, that's a really tough question. 
that's a really tough question. I'm going to go free skiing in a selfish point of view, but I'm very on the fence with that with, with both. <laughs> Amazing. And the final question um, that I wanted to ask you is what does, I know we've touched on this a little bit already, but what does your partnership with Knight Frank mean to you? Well, it, it, it you know, we, we feel quite privileged to be partnered up with them, you know, in very brief form that there's great guys working within Knight Frank. It means that we can invest into products that will benefit skiers off of snow. So the, the ultimate thing is someone that might not even take a ski lesson will benefit from the investment that Knight Frank have given because we can expand and develop the amount of content and the locations of the Ski Technique Lab. And that's the biomechanical foundation that goes on. You know, we've done one of these talks even within Knight Frank and we had a, we had a great response at the office um, on Baker Street, you know. So I, I don't even, I think there's way more in the future, you see. I, I think there's more that and, and ways in which this will evolve. The, the way the partnerships develop will enable us to sort of communicate and, and, and give, you know, more important information to skiers who want to have a better a better skiing experience ultimately amazing thank you so much warren i have absolutely loved this oh great well no, thanks for thanks for taking the time out to interview us it's uh that was fun thanks so much for listening to this episode of at home with if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts spotify acast or wherever you get your podcasts We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.